Reina. Awesome. It's really good to be together this morning, isn't it? We can't take that for granted these days, can we? Hey, um, as we've already mentioned, we've been in a series we're calling The I Am's of Jesus, Jesus in His Own Words, as um, we learn about how Jesus described Himself. We had a little break last week for Father's Day, and we're back into that today. And today we're going to be learning about what Jesus meant when he said, I am the bread of life. And that's in John chapter 6, where we just were. So hopefully you didn't pop your Bibles and your devices away, because you're going to need them out again. Um, and we're going to carry on right where Joe's finished, so you'll know exactly where we're up to. So if you pop, put them away, grab them back out again, um, while we have a wee chat about bread. Because why did Jesus choose to describe himself as bread? Of all things, you know, bread is such a basic, everyday thing, isn't it? Um, you know, it's a quick, easy, go-to kind of food. Most of it, most of us eat it. Most days, you might have had some already today. You had toast for breakfast. Um, I think lots of effort has been gone into finding things like gluten-free alternatives because bread is just such a handy, commonly eaten food. Um, and it's really interesting to me that in times of uncertainty, how we tend to cling back onto the basics. And so I found it really fascinating in sort of March when the whole COVID-19 thing was kind of becoming more of a thing in New Zealand and we were hearing about the potential for lockdowns, um, <clears throat> that most people were kind of trying to figure out what does my family need to be supplied during this time? And um, people... Was, was scrambling with that. And there was the great toilet paper rush of 2020, which we won't soon forget, will we? Um, but there were other things that were disappearing in the supermarkets as well. Baking ingredients, people were buying up baking ingredients, and flour and yeast um, disappeared off the shelves in the supermarkets. Um, so I have a little survey to conduct because it seemed like New Zealand became a, a great baking nation during lockdown. So I want you to raise your hand if in the household you were in for the level four lockdown, there was more baking than usual going on, whether you were eating it or doing the baking. Quite a few hands. Cool. Now, raise your hand if you not only had more baking, but someone in your household um, baked some form of bread, like bread or buns. Oh, quite a few. Yeah. Yeah, it happened, eh? There was the famous lockdown loaf that lots of people tried. Now, here's my most important question. I would like to know if there are any bakers out here who, during lockdown, made cinnamon scrolls. One, two, oh, yep, a few. Okay, look around, because these are the people that you want to get to know, okay? <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, during the lockdown, I felt um, pretty chuffed with myself, actually, because just a month or two before, I had bought a bread maker of Trade Me, and the week before lockdown, I noticed that flour was starting to get a bit scarce. And I managed to grab one of the very last 5 kg bags of high-grade flour, which is the best for bread making. Um, and because Easter came up during lockdown, I practiced and made some pretty good hot cross buns. My, fam my family was blessed with hot cross buns this year. Um, I did have one attempt at cinnamon scrolls, but they were a big failure, so I know who to ask now, <laughs> so that's good. But I never really did work out that why, as a nation, we sort of had this deep psychological need to bake during that time. <laughs> so let's um, take a look at Jesus' claim to be the bread of life. But before we get into John chapter 6 again, I do have a little confession to make. Um, I got to choose which of these I am statements um, to teach on. And I chose bread of life because I thought, oh, bread, such a simple, 
um, basic thing that'll be, you know, a nice straightforward one to teach on. I'll leave the hard ones to the pastors. They can do the tricky ones, okay? But I'll, I'll do bread. Well, never underestimate God in anything, including his sense of humor, okay? Because a few weeks ago when I sat down to, you know, really read through the passage and, and see what Jesus had to say about being the bread of life, um, I came to the end of his discussion about it. And I found that the people that had been listening to him said, well, actually, this is a really hard teaching. We don't really understand it. We don't like it. And we're not going to follow Jesus anymore. Oh, why did I not know that before I got myself into this? I really felt like I'd bitten off way more than I could chew. So today I'm just going to share you some of the crumbs of what I've learnt, And um, I'm going to trust that Jesus will make it enough to fill you and um, to speak to you this morning. So now we're up to John chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 25. So take a look there. And it starts with people looking for Jesus. They were looking for him because of what had happened the day before. Like Joe said, um, Jesus had fed thousands, and um, they'd been across on the other side of the lake, and they couldn't figure out how Jesus had got to where he was now on the opposite side of the lake. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, now might be a really good time to just pause and have a look at the first um, 24 verses of John, because we've heard in the reading how the first half covers um, Jesus feeding a crowd of people miraculously from a small child's lunch, and that there were leftovers, and then at the end of the day, Jesus sent the disciples in a boat across the lake, a big storm comes up, and um, just before dawn, Jesus walks on the water in the storm to the disciples and calms the storm. There are a few things from that reading that we've already had that I want you to notice. I don't want you to miss them. So we know from the other Gospels that this feeding um, miracle happens at the end of a really busy day. Jesus has been teaching all day and he's been healing people all day in this huge crowd. And the crowd is really big. We're told that there were um, 5,000 men there that day, but there were women and children as well. So there could have been between 10 and 20,000 people following Jesus that day. Now, did you notice John mentioned that the Passover festival was near? And that's important. It doesn't just help us with the timing, but the Passover festival is one where the Jewish people think about and celebrate their culture, and they remember the time that Moses led them out of captivity in Egypt, um, across the Red Sea, and um, they wandered for 40 years in the desert. And during that desert time, there was manna, a form of bread, that came down from heaven um, six out of seven days of the week that fed them. And John wants us to remember that the people at that time were thinking about this part of their history, and he wants us to be thinking about it as well um, with what happens next. A couple more things I want you to notice from that. Philip. Um, notice that Jesus asked Philip, what are we going to do about feeding these people? But Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He wanted Philip to see that the problem was too big for him to solve. I love Philip because he does this kind of calculator thing in his head, which is kind of what I do with things like this. Um, he calculates the size of the problem by looking at the number of people. He calculates how much bread they might need to feed this many people, and then he calculates the cost of that. And he figures out, um, that it's just, it's too big, they're out of options, they actually can't help. And then there's Andrew. Um, Andrew knew what was available, it was just a child's lunch. 
It wasn't big enough or good enough, and he knew that, but he brought it to Jesus anyway. And you know know what? The bread in that boy's lunch was barley bread, and that wasn't even good bread. It was coarse, cheap bread, and you would only ever eat that bread if you couldn't afford something better. So there were hungry people. The problem was too big. The resources were too small. The time wasn't right because it was the end of the day. The place wasn't right. They were out in the middle of nowhere. But this is the point where Jesus takes charge and does that amazing miracle. And he feeds every single person until they're full, and there are 12 baskets of leftovers. So this is the point where the people go a bit crazy, thinking they want to um, make Jesus king. And Jesus goes off by himself, but he sends the disciples um, across the lake in the boat. Now, Jesus knew that that storm was coming. And I just want you to notice that the disciples were exactly where Jesus had asked them to be and doing what Jesus had asked them to do when that storm hit. Okay, chapter 6, verse 25. I think it'll be really helpful if you follow along as we as we go. We're not going to hit every verse, um, but we will cover a big part of this next passage. So verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They're puzzled because they knew that Jesus hadn't got in the boat with the disciples, and yet he's here on the other side of the lake. Jesus doesn't tell them that he actually walked on the lake to get there, but he goes straight to their hearts with his answer. Verse 26, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father has placed his seal of approval. You know, Jesus is saying, you guys are only following me for the bread and for what I'm going to give you. But food goes off, physical stuff spoils and gets broken. You should be going after what lasts forever, which only Jesus can give. Verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Now, remember that most of these people are Jewish. They're used to following the law. They're used to working within the rules that the law set for them in All the time, um, Jesus seems to be challenging all the rules that they know. So they're kind of like, what what are the new rules, Jesus? What are you trying to tell us we need to do if we're going to have this eternal life that you seem to be offering? Verse 29, Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. This is really important because Jesus is saying it's not all about the law anymore. It's about believing. You know, the Jews worked hard to keep the law, but all along in the Old Testament, faith in God and in his promises was really important. And they were also looking for the someone that was coming, the Messiah that would one day be sent to them. Now they knew that during Moses' time, Moses had said that someone was coming that was going to be greater than Moses. And so the people are wondering, well, is Jesus who that person is? And how will we know And, you know, when Moses was leader, there was this manna that that came um, six days a week in the form of bread in the desert for 40 years. So maybe the one that's greater than Moses is going to do something even better than that. Verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
So they ask for a sign from Jesus for him to prove that he's legit. And you know what? That's really sad because what was happening 24 hours ago, Jesus was healing their sick. Only the evening before, he had fed 10 to 20,000 people with a small child's lunch. And you know what? The manna in the desert, each day it had spoiled and the next day they'd had to gather more. But Jesus bread, the leftovers were worth gathering up and there were more leftovers than what they'd even begun with. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So here Jesus is pointing out that actually the manna in the desert um, didn't come from Moses at all. It came from God. And this new, miraculous, eternal bread that was coming was also from God. And um, the bonus would be that it would give life to the world. The manna in Exodus was just to feed the children of Israel. But this new bread of God is that is going to offer life to the whole world. So verse 34, they respond, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. You know, the people probably didn't get half of what Jesus was saying, but they heard that Jesus was saying that there was there was some free bread on offer, that it was even better than manna. Um, it was from God, and it was going to be life-giving. So they were like, we want some of this that you're giving. It's going to be good. We want it. So here comes the big statement now in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is massive because Jesus is saying that he is the gift that God has sent from heaven, that he is the one that will satisfy their every need. Now, hunger and thirst here are metaphors for the human need to know God. And Jesus is saying that all people need to do is to believe in him to have this need met. Let's jump down to verse, uh, verse 41. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus? The son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? They're really saying, who the heck does Jesus think he is? But then Jesus takes it one step further and makes what he's saying even more unbelievable and shocking. Take a look at verse 47. Jesus speaking again. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And here's the shocking bit. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So Jesus points out that even though the Israelites and Moses um, had manna from heaven, they still died. But if the people will believe in him, they can have eternal life. Believing in Jesus is eating the bread of life. It's a funny word picture. And anyone can eat it and not die. But then the shocking part is 
Jesus changes the metaphor and says that um, this bread is his flesh. This causes a real stir. Have a look at verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So arguments break out about what Jesus means about eating his flesh, and instead of um, softening his message or explaining it away, Jesus doubles the shock value. Because have a look at verse 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. You know what makes it a little bit more outrageous, and I think it's kind of funny, is that when Jesus talks about eating his flesh, he doesn't use a word for eating that's kind of like a nice, polite word that you might use when you're sitting down to eat a meal. He uses a word for eating that you might use like for an animal eating its feed. Um, So it's kind of like he's saying, like, have a chomp, a munch, um, a gnaw on my flesh. So Jesus had gone from this nice picture of some bread that was being offered that was so good that you'd have eternal life to this bizarre picture of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And that's like the drinking of his blood that just really adds insult. This is absolutely crazy to anyone Jewish that's listening. You know, we might think, oh, we know what Jesus is getting at. It must be a reference to communion, you know, because we talk about that when we have the bread and the juice, we talk about Jesus' body and his blood. But it would be a whole year before Jesus would explain the practice of communion and then go to the cross to have his body broken and his blood spilled. And there's, there's kind of no way the people here in John chapter 6 could have understood it that way. And most commentators seem to think that Jesus wasn't directly talking about that. But there is a connection. Because here, everything that Jesus is saying is pointing to the fact that we need to believe in him, that he is the one sent from God, and that he is the only one that can give eternal life. His words point forward to the cross and to what Jesus will do um, in his own body to pay the penalty for sin. And in many ways, that is the message of all of the I am statements. They all point to Jesus being the only one. It's all about him. And communion, on the other hand, points us back to that same fact. Communion for us says thank you, Jesus, for what you have done, because it's all about you and what you did. And when we eat the bread and drink the juice, we remember that. But it's hard to explain just how shocking Jesus' words would have been to the Jewish people right then. It wasn't just shocking, it was actually horrendously offensive. Drinking blood, I mean, to us that might just sound gross, but to them it was a really strict law. God had forbidden the drinking of blood um, or eating meat with blood in it right back since Noah's time, and that had been confirmed again in the law. Blood represented life and the value of a living being. Plus, do you know what? Idol worshippers sometimes would drink the blood of strangled animals, so it was tied up in evil practices as well. 
So I was trying to think of something um, that could be as offensive to us today, something that would break the law, um, be gross, and identify with some sort of evil practice. So imagine if I told you that if you want to go to heaven, you have to hold a seance, murder someone, and eat their earwax. Okay, (laughs) I don't know. That's about as horrendous, gross, and evil, and just crazy as Jesus' words sounded that day. Please don't ever do that. Um, But if I did tell you that that's what you had to do, I bet that you would probably do exactly what most of the people did that day. They walked away. Have a look at verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Wow. But the 12 disciples stayed, and Jesus turns to them. Have a look at verse 67. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter piped up, as he often does, and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, the disciples probably didn't actually understand half of what Jesus was saying right then either. Judas, for sure, was still thinking about what Jesus was going to get for him materially and and politically. But these 12, they had seen Jesus do many things that other people hadn't, and they knew that Jesus lived up to every word he said. So Peter was confident, and he spoke for them all when he said they had come to understand he was, Jesus was the Holy One of God. So that's a really weird part of the Bible, right? A weird um, picture of Jesus being the bread. So what what do we do with, with this? Well, first of all, the first thing that we need to do is to believe Jesus for life eternal. You know, we all have to make a choice like the people did that day. Will we take the crazy story of God sending his son Jesus to the world as a man so that he could die as a criminal on a cross, and then as part of that death, take the penalty for all of our sin, um, so that if all we have to do is believe in Jesus, and then our um, our penalty is credited to Jesus' account, which has a big red paid stamp on it. You know, sadly, many people in the world today um, are like those that had followed Jesus that day. You know, back then they, they liked what they'd seen, they liked some of what they got for, from Jesus, but his words sounded too bizarre. And believing in everything he said just seemed crazy. So they walked away and they missed the greatest opportunity that, opportunity that Jesus offered them, eternal life. You know, the same choice is before you today as well, if you haven't already believed in Jesus. It may sound way too simple. Um, Just believe in Jesus and what he has done for you. But it is that simple. And if you're wavering, I would um, ask you to consider um, the, the question that Peter stated in verse 68. If not to Jesus, then to whom else will you go? There's no offer in the world that can do for you what Jesus offers. What about if you already believe in Jesus for eternal life? Well, believe in Jesus for life. Now, if you have believed in Jesus, then you have eternal life. Awesome. That starts now 
with earthly life, and then it transitions into resurrection life when this earthly life ends. So if you have eternal life, Jesus wants you to live it to the full with all that he has to offer you, not just to tuck it away like a life insurance policy. So if you believe in Jesus, what does what difference does that make to your life now? I hate to be the one to tell you this, but Jesus wants you to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Blood is life. Jesus wants a life for you, taking him with you, living in connection with him, with all the um, strength and peace and power that he offers. That's drinking his blood. How? Eat his flesh. Man, this is a weird one, right? It's confusing. But we keep going back to John chapter 1 to, to understand many of these I am statements of Jesus. And this one is no different. John told, told us in chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word made his dwelling among... Oh, sorry, and the Word was God. And then he said in verse 14, The Word became flesh. That's right. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Just in case you're wondering who or what this flesh person is, we're told he's God's one and only son who came from the Father. So let's see if we can work this out. We need to believe in Jesus as the bread and eat his flesh. And Jesus is the word that became flesh, so let's eat his word. There are plenty of ways to eat bread, and there are plenty of ways to consume God's word. Find what works for you and feast on his word. One of the verses that I really love in the book of Jeremiah is verse 15, chapter 15, verse 16. It says, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. When was the last time you read your Bible um, with that feeling? Do you come to God's word with hunger? When you feel empty, do you come to the Bible to fill up on truth and hope and assurance? Do you devour what you read? Do you chew it over in your mind and digest it? Do you take the goodness from it and absorb it into your life? Do you snack or do you feast? Do you have a balanced, regular diet? Or are you starving your faith by not feeding it with God's truth? You know, then when you're filled up with God's word, let Jesus into all of your life. We can learn some of the things that the disciples learned from hanging out with Jesus, and particularly from those couple of days. You can be a Philip. Remember how he worked out that the problem was just too big? Do you have something that's too hard to fix, too complex, too costly, just too big? Bring it to the attention of Jesus. There's a quote that's going to pop up from K.R. Hughes. It says, if you have calculated all the angles of your difficult situation, if you just want to run away and hide, do you know what the solution is? First, realize God wants to help you. He wants to pour his grace upon you. Hey, you can be an Andrew. Do you have something that maybe you could do, you could share, you could give, you could help with? But you just think it's too small, too insignificant, it's not enough, not good enough. Bring it to Jesus and see what he will do. There's another quote that's going to pop up. It's my favorite one. 
Philip doesn't know what to do. Andrew doesn't either, but he brings the boy and his bread and fish to Jesus' attention. The point is obvious, but we perhaps need to be reminded of it. So often, we ourselves have no idea what to do. But the starting point is always to bring what there is to the attention of Jesus. You can never tell what he's going to do with it. Though part of the Christian faith is the expectation that he will do something we hadn't thought of, something new and creative. I really love that. Hey, we can be like the disciples and make the leftovers a second feast. Has Jesus done something in your life that was amazing? Have you learned something really cool in his word? Have you been blessed with more than what you need in some area of your life? Well, who can you share your story or your extra with to bless them too? We can also be like the disciples in the storm. You know, there may be a storm, something hard and out of control hitting you at the moment. Remember, the disciples were following Jesus' instructions when the storm hit. Even when we follow Jesus, storms and struggles and hard times will come. Have you been trying to weather your storm on your own? How can you let Jesus into that? You know, I have to tell you that Jesus may not always calm your earthly storm. You just ask Paul in the book of Acts. But he will not withhold his love, presence and comfort from you when you let him in. So in summary... Believe in Jesus. Believe in him for eternal life. Believe in him for life now. Um, Feast on his word and let Jesus into all of your life. My final question for you this morning is, what will you be eating today? Hey, let me pray. Lord God, I I thank you for Jesus, Lord God. I thank you that you made salvation so simple. We just have to believe in Jesus and what he's done for us. Lord, thank you for the gift, the gift of eternal life and the gift that you want to do life with us right now. Lord, may we long to feed on your word and to do life with you. In Jesus' name.